Hello and welcome to The Stack. On this week's show, we'll make you move. From swimming titles, swimmers, to a journal on art and wrestling. And off, a new title dedicated to stories exploring movement, nature, design and sustainability. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Welcome to the show. We'll start with a beautiful title called Orange Crush, described as a journal of art and wrestling. Published and edited by Aden Abdallah, the magazine is a joy. Issue 3 is out now, and Aden tells me more about it. My publication is an annual journal called Orange Crush, the Journal of Art and Wrestling. Orange Crush is not only a soda brand, but also the name of a wrestling move that was coined by a Japanese wrestler named Kenta Kobashi, who's my personally my favorite professional wrestler. So I named it after him. And the mission of the magazine is to highlight major artists in the contemporary art world who have utilized and tackled professional wrestling as subject matter or as a major event in their own personal journey, or to highlight young artists who actually exist in professional wrestling culture as photographers, painters, zine makers, et cetera. So it's kind of bringing together like the highs of the international art world with the, the subcultures of professional wrestling globally. Because of course, besides Orange Crush, you work very much in the world of art, right? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the president and CEO of a company called Cultural Council. We are, a, I would say, a mid-sized communications and marketing agency, really working closely with international museums, philanthropies, foundations, art galleries, as well as like major corporations who are looking to fund things in the contemporary art space. And what about the passion for wrestling? Is this something of, that you used to follow when you were a kid? Yeah, you know, like a lot of uh, kids here in the States, we were raised by TV. And the thing that caught my attention since probably the age of, you know, four or five years old was professional wrestling. When I would go to our local independent uh, video stores, you know, some kids would be going and perusing like the cartoon section. I was drawn instantly to the professional wrestling section, started watching old videos of professional wrestling from, you know, the 70s and 80s and really kind of stuck with me my entire life, you know? And as I've kind of progressed in my professional career, which is kind of a pretty stark contrast to, to my personal hobby and interest, it's also allowed me to travel the world. So I've, I've worked and had an opportunity to spend a lot of time in places like Mexico and Japan where professional wrestling is also very popular and a significant part of sports culture there as well. I love the design of the magazine because I, I was telling you how the magazine is eye-catching. I mean, the use of color. And I think perhaps this very much connects to the world of wrestling as well. There, there, there is an aspect of fun and colorfulness to it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I have to give credit to my lovely wife, Susan Globus, who is the creative director of the magazine. Um, she comes from the world of fashion. She was a graphic designer for a number of brands for many years and still works as an active independent graphic designer. And the project kind of manifested as a collaboration between us where I had this idea of bringing together, you know, professional wrestling and all these aspects of the arts. And I, we kind of sat down together and she 
concept in a lot of the visuals from the way that we do our covers to our layouts. So it's kind of a, it's a family affair, so to speak. This latest issue, Orange Crush Volume 3, actually has three covers. And we always kind of go for a different vibe. Like Volume 2 had a very kind of fashion vibe and aesthetic. This one, I, I think, took a lot of references from kind of um, 90s, like fan magazines, like Teen Bee or like The Source, like things, things like that. So we gave kind of a different flavor to each different cover that we released with this issue, um, with that, taking that inspiration, making it a little more tongue in cheek than maybe some of our previous or our two previous issues. You mentioned there Mexico and Japan. I mean, do you have like fans of the magazine from outside the US? I mean, how, how, how are you trying to kind of market the title? Yeah, we have, first of all, international distribution deal with Antenna Books. So it's a little behind, you know, direct sales, obviously, but we wind up in probably around 40 or 50 independent bookstores throughout Europe. And we, our sales have been pretty decent for a very small magazine, but we do have a big following in the UK, Canada, Australia. Um, we have distribution in Japan uh, with Hao Ming, which is a kind of uh, high-end wrestling merch retailer in uh, the Shibuya district. So we do have an international following and we do also utilize artists from around the world as well and incorporate that into our editorial. And I think it stands out as a, as a kind of a, a little bit of a wrestling magazine as well, because I did actually had a look today. Uh, we, I went to a news agent. They had you know, a few wrestling magazines, but the design is completely different. Perhaps it's a new thing that perhaps someone that might not know very much about the art side of things could be interested as well. Yeah, so I mean, most professional wrestling magazines are kind of printed in like a tabloid style, you know, similar to like a People magazine and, you know, is really geared towards more of a mass market audience. There have been attempts in the past at like really high end, like $500 to $1,000 hardcover books. Like UFC put out like this crazy book one year that they released at like Art Basel. I wanted to create something that could be a keepsake, that could be a coffee table type book for people who both love wrestling or who are interested at the cross-section or just the aesthetics of wrestling, but also be accessible. So we're a large format. Each magazine is about uh, an inches, nine and a half by 13 and uh, really high quality paper. So it feels like substantial, but we try to keep the price point relatively, I wouldn't say modest, but like attainable. It's like 25, 25 bucks. And issue three is out now as well, right? People, what's the best way to buy it? Just go to your website, right? The best way to buy it, I would say is orangecrush.art. Um, we service most countries. If we don't have that automatically on the website, you can reach out to me and I can figure it out. But we are also carried in museums like the Perez Art Museum in Miami. In New York, we're carried by Printed Matter uh, in New York, as well as, as I mentioned, like a lot of independent uh, retailers throughout, throughout the UK and Europe. Thank you, Arden. And remember, issue three is out now. And now it's time for a new title here on The Stack. It's called Off Magazine. The new print magazine dedicated to stories exploring movement, nature, design, sustainability and the human psyche. The title is published by ON, the Swiss brand for running shoes and clothing. I spoke to the title's head of content, Kaylin Hunter. Off is the first print title that On, the globally known running brand, has released. So that's something that might have surprised people a little bit by this first title, that it's not a running magazine like all other running magazines. 
but it really is an opportunity for us to dive a little bit deeper into some core elements of our brand values that really sit around sustainability and movement and design and to introduce those to a much wider audience than may have interacted with on before. And of course, branding is in the title as well, as we said, but you know, but there's some beautiful pieces. For example, I really like that article, The Lost Art of Getting Lost, because it's so true, because there is something magical as well about getting lost. And so I think it, even a little bit of kind of poetry in that sense, if I may say. Absolutely. We weren't incredibly subtle with the title of is definitely a an obvious play on those moments that we take that maybe are a little bit more disconnected from those moments where we have to switch on, where we're on the track or out on the field that allow us a little bit more time to pause or to reflect. And that's something that we tried to incorporate throughout the first issue. We actually took the theme of the first issue as being disconnection or disconnecting. And that's something that we really wanted to explore after a year of lockdowns and isolation, how we can still find positivity in those quiet moments and how actually taking moments of pause can give you a little bit more energy or can help you to perform at your best the next time that you do have to switch on. And what does a beautiful print title like this mean to the brand? Because I mean, it, it's not like a shopping catalog for the brand, clearly, you know, I mean, if, if you, I have the magazine here in my hands, so what do they want to do with it, do you think? Off really is a chance for us to go story first. As a brand, we have so many connections to athletes around the world, but also to great creatives and great storytellers. And we frequently found that we were encountering stories that hadn't been told before, that felt like they needed to be explored in more depth. They maybe didn't exactly feel like they fit in an Instagram feed that you're just going to swipe through. They're things that we wanted to spend a little bit more time with and that we wanted to dive into a little bit more. We're really seeing off as an exploration of what we talk about as being run culture. So yes, we are 100% a running brand and we're really known for our product innovation that is unparalleled within the industry. But the things that make up culture aren't just those moments where you're hitting a personal record or where you're sweating really hard. There are many, many things in our, in our world that we are interested in. And we hope that we're able to connect with even more people that might not consider themselves a runner or might be a little bit intimidated by running, but we can introduce them to the brand by exploring these different areas of passion for us that are still completely true to the brand. So I did reference movement earlier on as opposed to specifically running in the magazine. You'll find lots of pieces around running, but you'll also find deeper explorations into other sports, into other movement practices. And we hope that this is an opportunity for us to show more sides of ourselves to people all around the world, both people who already know the own brand and are very keen to explore it in a different way, but really for us, this is such a great opportunity to interact with a new community of people that we would love to celebrate. We really like to say to people that running is for everyone. Sometimes it can feel a little bit inaccessible, actually, or a little bit intimidating when you think of that high performance element. But we really want to celebrate even that person that 
maybe they ran a 5k in 1997 like they're still one of us they still have explored movement they've seen challenges they've seen ups they've seen downs and we hope that by introducing them into the brand through off by other topics that they might feel passionate about potentially in design potentially in sustainability that we can show them that movement really is a tool to ignite the human spirit and we hope that we're able to bring those people even deeper into the brand are you a big runner yourself because first of all i know you're not from switzerland but you're based in switzerland and i feel the swiss they have such a i mean they, they love running they love sport they love being in contact with nature you know what in certain ways is the perfect place for a magazine like this right it absolutely is. I have loved moving to Switzerland. I am from Ireland originally. Switzerland is not dissimilar to Ireland in that it has wonderful outdoors, but the weather is significantly better and it allows you to explore those spaces frequently or much more frequently maybe than before. I might have in the past said I was a big runner, but then I encounter absolutely phenomenal runners uh, here within on. We have so many ex-athletes so many ex-Olympians, people that on their weekend, their sort of fun thing to do on a Saturday is to maybe run an ultra marathon. I'm not quite there, but yeah, my passion for running and for sport in general is, is definitely quite high, but you'll see a lot of outdoor spaces in the magazine as well. The landscapes that we have in Switzerland are phenomenal and the company was founded in the Engadine, even though we are headquartered here in Zurich. And that appreciation of the outdoors, that appreciation, again, of disconnecting and getting out into spaces around us is something that we hold really dear to our hearts. What about the magazine? Where can people go and, and, and buy a copy? I mean, I know probably on running they will sell it, but will it be available in other news agents around the world or bookshops? Yes, it will actually. We are stocked in a number of retailers actually already in both North America and in Europe. And that's something that we have been incredibly excited to see. If you want to pick up a copy now, you can always go to offthemagazine.com. But we have been thrilled to see the excitement that people have had outside of our own channels. And our distribution has really taken off very strongly. It really does seem like there is an appetite for these untold stories that position movement and athleticism in a different way. So we have, as I mentioned, a number of retailers in North America and in Europe, and we will be firming up that distribution strategy and going even wider for issue two, which launches in April. I need to add as well, one other story that I loved was a kind of a photo shooting. I, I'm looking here in Marcel, you know, I, I thought the pictures were quite, I don't know, vivacious and sexy. I, I really, really enjoyed that, that piece, actually. That's a really interesting one as well. That's actually one of my favorite pieces in the magazine. I think the imagery really transports you to the location. Whenever I read through it, I kind of feel like it's two o'clock and I've maybe had half a glass of wine too much already. And, you know, there's some maybe some 80s Euro pop playing from a cafe somewhere. It just transports you. And that's something that we were really keen on with the magazine. As I mentioned before, we were really thinking about format here and how we can best communicate these stories and sometimes in the past we'd gone on shoots or maybe we'd even created work but it just didn't feel like it resonated in the same way in a digital environment whenever you interacted with the assets or interacted with the imagery online it didn't have that ability to transport you and i think that is something that is unique about the magazine you really are enveloped in off off as a title 
also is a little sign to other people like this is a do not disturb sign you know i'm off i'm reading my magazine and that's something that i find really joyful in that piece about marseille as well and that was kaylung hunter from off magazine Finally on the show, time to go for a swim. Swimmers is a title about swimming with a queer perspective. Their issue focuses on the Tokyo Olympics. I spoke to their editor-in-chief and creative director, Tin R. On the one hand, it's maybe the most obvious title for a swimming-themed magazine. On the other hand, it took me, you know, the 10 years that I was dreaming about this project to actually get there. You know, I had tried other things, you know, trying to work around other other magazines that already existed out there that were more, shall we say, swimming focused. And I was coming at it from kind of a side or, you know, 45 degree angle where, as you can see, both visually and, and thematically, it wasn't just about, you know, speed and world records and famous swimmers or, you know, even technique or, or whatever, but sort of touching on those things, but also the culture and the aesthetics. And, and of course, once somehow I locked in on, on the, uh, we might as well say from the start, queer-centered point of view, then that, that word as a trigger for, as I've said in other materials, for queer boys, it, it becomes quite distinct, quite direct, provocative, and even a little bit controversial to some degree. And it just seemed to fit. And the plural was a little bit of a, I will say, again, sideways copyright. I'm not going to say how whether I'm infringing or not. I, I just decided to try it. So that's how I landed on the title, if, if that makes any sense. No, and I think the The title is absolutely great. And one thing that I really liked, it's a very visually appealing title. All the small details, even the logo. I can totally see a clothing collection of that logo. It would work very well, Tim. Any chance of this happening? You know, if anyone knows about design history, uh, you know, uh, I believe uh, the Japanese did the first pictograms for the Olympics for sports. And then I will argue that I think his name is Otto Fry. Someone's going to kill me for not remembering this, but who did the 1972 Munich Olympics, perfected it in terms of geometry and, and, and things like that. So I was trying to marry the visual culture around sports, but sort of at the global scale, right? These icons that need to speak to billions of people, not just a thousand people with iconography from you know queer history or gay history and sometimes these things don't naturally mesh but i was i was convinced there was something in the symbols of both things that uh could come together and 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 again i'm going to use some words that that are maybe really obvious to gay people or queer people and not obvious to everyone else or, or you know non non queer identified people but um the triggers and the fetishes or the fetishization of iconography or visual things you know how to how to figure those puzzles out how to make them work together and you know that really just just took a lot of time and and a lot of trials and 
you know, I tried to be coy about it. I tried to be direct about it. So how to find that middle ground. And I don't know if you noticed, but I figured out that the original um, Munich uh, version of the swimmers isn't really how people swim anymore. You know, throwing your arms back at the start. Uh, some people still do it, you know, very successfully, but it's a subtle detail where I think most coaches now teach you not to to swing your arms back because you kind of lose power. So I chose to show them at the moment of diving in and sort of the body position, which is oddly slightly more accurate and visually more accurate and yet visually almost more playful and and maybe energetic. And then when I figured out I could make a bathing suit out of the negative space, that was my sort of crowning achievement with the logo mark. And then working with the pink triangle and without gave me different ways to, to use the logo mark. And Tim, what's the connection with Japan as well? There's lots of Japan in the magazine. Tell us a bit more about that. <laughs> um, as you mentioned, I had hoped to launch by Tokyo 2020. So that gave me a timeline when I started working on the magazine seriously a few years ago. And I figured if, you know, to coincide with that, why not do a travel feature? If people picked it up and were going to go to the Olympics, they could have a, again, slightly queer perspective on traveling there. Although it doesn't just talk about how to travel as a queer person. It's mainly the same facts that, that people around the world can use. And then I have a personal history with Japan because I, I lived there during some formative years in high school. And, you know, it's, it's how I would explain to my friends who I take to Japan, well, this is how the city's structured. These are the neighborhoods that most people know, which also sort of coincide with how the transportation works. You know, and, and you'll see a map in the magazine that gives you a slight overview of the overall network. Of course, there's there's like thousands of lines that I I could not possibly detail, but it, it's enough to sort of sit at the kitchen table and show my friend, you know, the doodle that I draw on a piece of paper, just slightly more elaborated. And Tino, you know, of course, I have to ask you that: Are you? A swimmer or, or even a good swimmer I, I don't know because I have to tell you I am definitely not a good swimmer but I am fascinated by swimming pools and the looks their architecture I find it quite fascinating but I want to know your personal experience of swimming yes uh, I guess I I have to consider myself a swimmer because I still do swim for exercise not so much as a sport anymore um, past uh, high school and, and a few years as a master swimmer, those kind of nerves of competition are, are just too much for me now. And, and I, I don't really like the stress of that kind of workout, but um, I still do it. I do it very regularly. But like you said, even if you're not an expert or, you know, or don't have that history or dropped out of it or went back to it, it has this strange connection, this kind of pull visually and, dare I say, culturally. You know, it, there is an aesthetic to it. You know, water has an aesthetic to it when you try to contain it. And I actually have a, a background in a few design disciplines, which actually includes architecture. And I know that architects have a real fetish for designing swimming pools and um, anything that sort of like approaches an, an 
a temple of abstraction, you know, because if you think of a, a swimming pool setting, it's, it's a bunch of planes and verticals and lines and, uh, you know, and you can look back through history how often temples, not just to swimming, but athleticism have sort of gone hand in hand almost with religion. So I think there's a very long human cultural attachment to physical and visual culture going together. So um, I think the magazine is manifest that idea or that addiction or tendency, whatever you want to call it. And I'll be honest, that's really the main reason I started putting this together. It, it was just a seed of an idea a long time ago. Yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, it made me think about one question, actually, that is in the magazine. I think it's, it's can buildings be sexy? And, and the answer <laughs> is, of course, right? Especially <laughs> swimming pools. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, again, uh, you know, I think I mentioned in the uh, it's not an article, right? It's a it's a fictional conversation. They they try to sort of can't talk about whether uh, an inanimate space can can provoke emotions. And, and you're right. Yes, of course, because it, it doesn't have anything to sort of dispel your projections of, of how you feel or, or how you engage the space. It can't sort of talk back and you get to project anything you want on it and they're literally screens so yeah and tin uh tell us where can we find a copy of the magazine i know you have some stockists around the world but can people just go to your website as well yeah they can uh buy through my website i've now shipped to i think it's 15 stores half of them are here in the bay area but uh, yeah, you go to swimmersmag.com, there's a shop button and you can go through there. That's fantastic. Listen, it's a great magazine. And I even liked the Spotify list at the end of the magazine. There's a <laughs> lovely list of amazing music, including a fellow Brazilian, Elise Regina, which I adore. So mm. um, thank you for that. That's a great uh, playlist as well. Yeah, music definitely influences everything I try to do. It's always on. It's on in the bathroom. It's on when I'm working. And I think what I'm trying to capture in the design is a sense of atmosphere and rhythm and color and, you know, the kind of things that make you want to move. So, yeah, music was essential to making this. Thank you very much, Tim. And to end the show, a non-print related story that I would like to share with you stack listeners. Uh, it's the interview I did with Ukrainian singer Jamala, who won the 2016 Eurovision Song Contest with the powerful haunting ballad 1944. The personal song spoke about the deportation of Crimean Tartars in Ukraine in 1944, including her own great-grandmother. The singer had to flee Ukraine and is now in Istanbul. She also delivered an emotional performance of her song at the German national finals for Eurovision this week. I had a chat with her about how an artist like her could help her country in this difficult moment. I'm in Istanbul, uh, in my sister's house, but I can say that I'm in safe place because in this time, my husband in Ukraine, my husband's father in Ukraine, all my team in Ukraine, all my musical band in Ukraine, and that's why I'm not feel safety. 
the war caught us like millions of other Ukrainians by surprise at 5 a.m. on the 24th of February. And of course, we followed the media reports with different predictions, but uh, somehow we didn't believe that till the end that such a horror could even happen in 20th century in the middle of Europe. The evacuation of children was decided uh, on the same day after the first bombing of Kiev. We were in three times in bomb shelters with my kids. And to be honest, we had only five minutes to pack. And I grabbed our documents to address the kids and I tried not to panic and even made a joke about whether to take the Eurovision Song Contest award or not. But of course I took nothing. Actually, it's the same for most of the Ukrainian mothers who grabbed their kids and ran. And I hope I can return with my kids very soon. And Jamala, I want to ask you as an Ukrainian artist and a symbol, I mean, I remember when you won in 2016 with the very powerful 1944, what do you feel is, is your role at the moment? Because, you know, a lot of people listen to you. And, and, and to be fair, I've seen your performance of 1944 at the German national finals. You asked people for donations and it was quite successful in that way. So how do you see your role as an artist in this very difficult moment for Ukraine? No, I feel that I must do something. Anywhere where my voice can be heard, and anywhere where my voice can help my country, I will do everything in my power to spread the world about Putin's blood crime in Ukraine. And Berlin was like top of my way. Tomorrow I'm going to Lithuania and after tomorrow to Romania to do the same things. I'll proceed from SMS voting were donated to help Ukraine. And I feel that I have to be like voice of mothers and children who are in a bomb shelters now, who were killed. And it's insane. That's why I'm just, I'm just trying to do something. And I think you're very right. And, and just remembering back in 2016, when you won with 1944, it was quite interesting because the song itself it is a political song in, in, in many ways. And, and, and it's quite weird, right, that something, I wouldn't say the, the same, but something is, is happening right now as well. How, how do you feel about that? Because clearly it's a, quite a personal story a little bit, 1944, for you, right? Yeah, for me, it's, in that time, it uh, wasn't political at all. It was like a story of my granny and my old Crimean Tatars about uh, this uh, horrible genocide. And nowadays, unfortunately, this repeats itself because now it sounds more realistic, you know? Because then I wrote this song, it was about past, about 1944 story, but nowadays it sounds so real because when strangers are coming, even the neighbors are coming, they come to your house, they kill you all and say, we're not guilty and the same because we are, we are hearing at the time this lie from Russians media, because they say that it's like mission, they say like it's some crisis, but no, we know for sure that it's a full scale war in, and it's like terrorism nowadays. But you feel the international community is doing enough. How did you feel that the reaction from other countries? I mean, you mentioned that you are in another country that is not Ukraine now. How did you see this? 
I really call on all European countries of greed because you know we need to unite. You have to realize that this is a war not only against the Ukrainian people but against all European values, the values which we have, we have built uh, for so long time. And I really worry about that it will be like Syrian variant. When we talk about this sometime, one week, two weeks, one month, and then we, we said, okay, what can we do? It's just not, not our war, something like that. We can't get used to war. It's really hard now for me because I'm not I'm I'm not speaker I'm not about war I'm not a politician at all and I'm, I'm not ready to speak about war I'm not ready to speak about weapons to ask Europe give us some weapons or close the sky or something like that but now I understand it's not political issue for me it's like uh, to do something to protect my country, to do our culture, to to protect my kids. And I really miss my home. I really miss my flat. I really miss my husband. And I speak with him every day. And I'm trying to be, to have force enough to go through all of this, but I'm exhausted. And I'm almost two weeks, I don't have any sleep. I understand. It must be a, a harrowing moment. And, but at the same time, I think you are doing a great job just showing the message. It can be with your song or whatever. And you told me that you've not only been to Germany, now you're going to other countries as well to be. Is it, is it kind of Eurovision-related things that you're going to, sh to show the message yeah. in a way to the uh, world? No. Actually, yes. I'm just very thankful for German authorities and the organizers of Eurovision because it was their proposal and it's huge help for us. Thank you very much to Jamala. Very emotional talking to her. And that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Nora Hall. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpharmonico.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. And of course, you can always listen to it again at monaco.com or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you. Madonna with swim. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. Yeah, yeah,